This week's episode is brought to you by the Western Conference. Hit the skids? Hard luck out there? Can't buy a win, a goal, or even a save? No worries. The Western Conference has got you, fam. You can still be in the playoffs race even if you've dropped nine of your last ten. The Western Conference, we're unbelievably terrible. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Big old cow hearts, two pancreases. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Seth, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for January 14th, 2019. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche can't stop losing hockey games, and everybody's mad as hell. This is looking like one of our shorter shows today, as I'm joined today only by Earl06. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. And we're here to make fun of this disaster and try to figure out what panic is real, what panic is imaginary. You ready to play the whoosh? Whoosh. All right, all right let's do it. We begin today with our New Year staple segment, The Sitch. Colorado currently occupy the first wild card spot in the West with 48 points. You may remember me saying that last week. Fortunately, the rest of specifically the Central has been in also in flames lately. Um, no one in the Central has lost fewer than four of their last ten games. Meanwhile, San Jose and Vegas are both 8-1-1 and in their last ten, so go figure. Stupid Minnesota Wild are in the second spot with 47 points and a game in hand on the Avs. Anaheim have fallen down a well this month, and they're now next in line at 46 points, and Edmonton are next after that with 45 Third in the Central, still the Silly Dallas Stars, with 50 points and one additional game played over the Avalanche. Earl, you watch more hockey than I do. Why doesn't anyone in the West want to make the playoffs? I I think this is really odd. And <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people say that the East is a lot stronger than the West this year. And, and I think that's definitely part of it. But you know, at this point in the year, you're playing sort of you're, you're you're playing more inside the conference and inside your division. You know, except for the Abs, obviously, on this East Coast swing. But um, you know, I, I think the East being stronger is part of it. But I just think that no one is consistent in the West. You know, you saw Edmonton change coaches and they had a bit of a bump and, and rose up the standings. Now they've fallen back down. Um, Anaheim was really lucky for a long time. Now they're really not lucky and still bad. So I, I just think there are a lot of flawed teams in the conference, and it, it, it's really a consistency issue across the board. Well, speaking of Anaheim, I mean, John Gibson has had a heart-level performance at this point. Like, he is the Anaheim Ducks, is John Gibson. Yeah. And when they can't overcome that, then they're, you know... <laughs> they're not going to win. Um, you know, they're they're old and bad. They have some good younger players that they don't, you know, they they haven't been able to rely on as much. But, um, you know, I, I just I think you're seeing a lot of teams that are in the same kind of boat where they bet on certain things working and they haven't. And and that goes for you know even teams like Nashville and Winnipeg and and even the Avs, of course. Um. You know, it, it, it's going to be interesting at the end of the year and, and over the summer to look back on sort of, you know, why all these teams that were supposedly going to be very strong in the West 
aren't and weren't. Yeah, it's just, especially in the Central, it's just such an odd mix of, of strategies. Like from Winnipeg, trying to combine a lot of really good players with a coach that's never successfully done anything. Or, right. Or whether it's <laughs> Chicago, just kind of rolling with a bunch of players who aren't any good anymore. Or, yeah. Or the Dallas Stars calling their best players fucking horseshit to the media. Like, it's just a lot of interesting strats out there. And, I mean, the Blues are actually the best example of this. And, you know, I, I was one of the major skeptics of what they did over the summertime. And, you know, it, it really didn't work. And it, it doesn't surprise me at all that it didn't. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think their performance probably surprises more people sort of a, a, across the continent than, than anything else in the Central. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. Because... Um, from what I hear from other, you know, other hockey voices that aren't based in this area, it is, yeah, why are the Blues so bad? You get that a lot. Um, but none of these strategies compare to the Edmonton Oilers, who <laughs> continue along their trail of, you know, things aren't working, so what if we shipped out some of our good players for other players? And so the response is, yeah, cool, let's, let's bring in some different talent. No, no, I didn't say talented players. <laughs> we're gonna get to the off-ice avalanche news in a minute but first up the weekly rundown on tuesday abs fall 7-4 to the winnipeg jets in winnipeg and this was a game i missed more than half of but the general consensus and what i saw agrees was that the abs played easily their best game in winnipeg in i don't know several years and they still lost because they couldn't buy a save a sunrise to you yeah and it's it was very frustrating because they really did play a great game and in Winnipeg, Winnipeg played a fairly bad game. And that's something you rarely see in Winnipeg. Right. So it, a lot of the frustration stems from it being sort of a wasted opportunity. Um, but you know, the, the main culprit was obviously Philip Grubauer right. and he was just letting in muffins left and right. And you know, it's tough because you're you're looking at some of the, the Corsi numbers, like oh, like Carl's line was seventy-five percent Corsi, Max line was sixty-seven, even the frat line was right at fifty percent. I mean, everybody was was really controlling play well for the Avalanche. Um and, and the puck was in the Winnipeg zone far more often than not, but when it was in the Av zone, it was in the net. Yeah, Gabe Landeskog scores twice. Carl Soderberg and Ryan Graves also get on the board, but Philip Grubauer allows six goals on 20 shots, plus there's an empty netter in there. So yeah, the Avs went into Winnipeg, and they held the Jets to 21 shots and had 41 of their own and lost. Cool. I mean, the tough thing about that is you look at Grubauer's uh, previous five games going into that, you know, it's like you, you started off with the Arizona game where he let in four before halfway, got yanked. You know, then he came back with a decent performance against Vegas. And then the same exact thing happened against San Jose. Um, you know, letting up four early, getting yanked. And then he had what I thought was a pretty underrated good game against the Rangers. Obviously, it was a blowout and he wasn't really asked to do a whole lot because the Rangers were just sort of trying to destroy themselves against the boards. <laughs> uh, you know that was that was a pretty good game. I mean, you know, he, he let in one goal on twenty five shots. That's that's you know, that's exactly what you needed that night. But at, 
you know, he comes right back with a performance like this against Winnipeg. So it's like every other game you're seeing him just not get it done at all. And that's just, you know, it's extremely troubling because, you know, with Varley sick and then a little bit of an injury, this was really his shot to, you know, take the, the starting job and run with it and flailed. Yeah, well, it gets better, because on Wednesday, the Avs travel back-to-back to Calgary and lose 5-3 to the Flames. Nathan McKinnon, Eric Johnson, and Miko Ranson in year three. And this time, it was somehow worse. Calgary were only able to put 16 shots on goal this entire game, including the empty netter, which leaves Simeon Varlamov allowing four goals on 15 shots. On a traveling back-to-back to an arena where this franchise has played like butts for years, the team in general crush Calgary, but can't buy a save. Goal. Yeah, um, I you know it. I, I know it's pretty close, but it just didn't feel as bad as what happened in Winnipeg as far as the the goalie play. And this was obviously this was Varley's first start since New Year's Eve, so I mean you knew it was going to be a little bit of a rust game at least in the beginning. I, I think actually the the Avs shot suppression worked against them in this game uh, because we know Varley likes to have. You know, some shots definitely early to get into the game. And when you're only asked to save, you know, five shots per period, um, you're never really going to get on it. And it took him until, like, I mean, the game was somewhat out of reach by the time he really got into the game. Sort of, I don't know, it, it looked like maybe five or six minutes into the third, he started tracking the puck better and everything like that. And, and you know, it's just too late by the it was, um, but that was again that the Avalanche just played really well, and there, there's there's really not much else to say about that game except for can't buy a save. Um, well, the one thing I was going to say is they, you know, they had a whole lot of shot attempts and and outshot Calgary badly, but almost all of their shots were from above the dots, and that's. You know that's that's sort of a chronic issue we've been seeing over the past twenty twenty five games, is that they've, you know, when when they do generate a lot of shot volume, they have a big problem generating quality, and that was definitely the case in that game. So, you know, it, it's I, I like seeing them raise their shot share, um, but it's just sort of the the dangerous type of scoring chances don't seem to be following along with that. So it, it's it's something that the coaching staff is really going to have to look at and say, you know, do, being a volume team is nice and that suppresses the opponent's shots, which we kind of need if our goalies aren't playing that hot. But, you know, we, we do need to work on generating quality chances. Yeah. But at the same time, you score two goals, you allow 15 shots. That has to be good. Like, you can't expect to give up more than two goals on 15 shots and they get the third with the with the net empty so um yeah but we'll we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute um because finally on saturday um the goaltending turned around a little bit the former nordiques walked into montreal and came out with no goals 3-0 your final at the hands of the montreal canadiens in what was probably the best goaltending performance colorado have had since christmas honestly they just couldn't solve carrie price they won't be the only team who could say something like that. It happens. We also saw Patrick Nemeth scratched for Mark Barbario. Now, Earl, what was tough to me about this loss was not the score. 
was not the first goal, even though it was a really terrible goal. It was the response to that first goal, because Montreal scores shorthanded, and the Avalanche respond by coming out and getting dominated for like a two-minute shift and standing around until they concede again. It it was the here-we-go-again deflation that we have not seen the Avs do since a season that shall not be named. You watch, uh, you watch Montreal a lot. So how was your feeling on this game? Um, I was looking forward to this game because, you know, I, I, I've watched Montreal quite a bit and even their last game against St. Louis, which is on, um, I think Thursday night, um, they had very similar problems to what we saw the abs have in Calgary. I mean, it's like they outshot the blues and just, you know, they couldn't score, couldn't generate any any quality chances. So I figured this is, you know, sort of a, a death match and that that's pretty much what we saw for most of the game. But once that shorthanded goal went in, the next shift, they were definitely deflated. And it, it was just, it was very troubling. All they needed to do was get the puck out of the zone once, and that probably, that probably would have snapped them out of it. But they just couldn't. And, you know, first of all, it shows just how little you have to play badly to lose a game like that. And second of all, it, it just shows that they're they're kind of fading into that fragile psychology that they had back when we we don't really want to think about inconsistent, fragile. Sounds familiar. Um, sounds like a young hockey team, but it, I mean, it's really even hard to kind of call them inconsistent right now because this has been a long stretch. As, as we get out of individual game talks, uh, I just kind of want to ask what you're panicking about today. Because there's a lot of panic in Avs Nation, and rightfully so. Despite the playoff positioning, Colorado appeared to be in full 18-wheeler off a cliff mode right now. Um, and like a friend of the show, Andy, likes to say recently, it's not one thing. It's something different every time. Um, so let's just run it down. Um, kind of Some of the popular panic topics right now. And uh, we'll, we'll talk for a moment about each of them and whether they're... Uh, worth really bitching about um you've already kind of got into one of them which is sort of the going for shot volume and maybe not getting quite as high a quality of shot chances because they're coming from higher up they're not always necessarily coming from the danger areas um whether that's a an issue of the way the team's being coached whether that's an issue of uh just the way players are trying to throw anything on net because you're hockey players and that's what you're trained to do when things aren't going well um so we'll just dive right into into that are you panicking about coaching and systems offensively yes um i i I think it's i i think the coaching staff definitely wanted them to shoot more i mean they've had poor shot share for ever you know the, the yeah well forever but you know the, the last year or so um, is when it really mattered. And they sort of skated by with, with being, a, a, you know, sort of a <laughs> high shooting by. percentage. <laughs> God damn it. Um, but they, they, you know, they, they got by with, with, I don't want to call it luck, but they got by on being able to generate quality, but not quantity. And that's a, you know, 
it's tough to make that sustainable. I, I, I think they could, but I can see also why this, the coaching staff would want them to up their quantity. And I, I think this might be a little bit of a case of careful what you wish for. It's like you tell the guys to shoot from anywhere or, or shoot more, and they are, and this is sort of an effect. Your shooting percentage kind of nosedives, and the, the development of quality chances just isn't there anymore. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's probably good for them to get the feeling of controlling a game more, of, of shooting more often than they did. Um, but now that they know that feeling and, and they sort of see how to do it, I, I think they need to sort of pull it back a little bit and, and get back to generating some more quality chances. So um, do you feel like it's a specific set of players that's doing this? Is this across the board? Is it like... like it, I mean, it, it really does look like it's across the board. Okay. Um, and... You know, to put a caveat to that, what we've seen generally across the NHL this year is that, you know, shooting percentage goes way up and teams are really focusing on a trying to score from the inner slot slot area, you know, as close to the net and, and right in front of the net as you can get. And I, I think the response from teams has been to counteract that somehow and really make a big effort to force play higher in the zone or I, I don't think it's as much wider anymore. It's, it's sort of more higher in the zone. Um, so they're, they're, they're sort of sacrificing the, the perimeter areas and really taking up space in front. So it, it's just, you know, it, it's a tactical problem that they're going to have to solve, you know, not just against Montreal, but against everyone they play, because that, that sort of seems to be the way the league is going this year. If there's anything we've learned from like the analytics community on shot quality, it, it is that those, that those perimeter shots, like especially like not necessarily from the high, but from the outside, are just not that dangerous. Um, yeah. So it, it makes perfect sense that as teams kind of get more progressive with, with those ideas, they start to implement, okay, well, you can have the perimeter. And that, that's one thing that I don't understand why it took this long to happen, because what's the one thing that we always say about big international ice? It's more boring, because the ice on the outside is useless. Right. So, I don't know what took so long for us to figure that out. Um, but... Well, I mean, I think, I'll, you know, I think a lot of coaches look at perimeter shots like, you know, shoot from the outside, crash the net, and score goals that way. And... That I've seen that be less and less effective as time has gone on, and I think you know I think coaches are realizing that it's like you can't just shoot it from the perimeter and hope to get a rebound or hope to crash the net and create chaos. It's like you've got to find a way to you know basically dismantle the the net front defense and get a a good shot that the goalie can't put his eyes on from a dangerous area. And if you can do that three or four times a game and capitalize on it, you're going to win. Yep. Even if you only capitalize on it, you know, once or twice, you're going to draw enough penalties that you should should score on a power. Excuse me, a power play in a game. Um, maybe not all <laughs> of them. <laughs> People get frustrated when your power play is 0 for two on the night. Like it, it, that's two chances. Give them, give them a few. You know, twenty percent's not a bad I, power play. I know. It's like I, I remember. 
you know, I mean, we went through this with the Rangers game last week, and you know, my my point was there were three out of ten. You know, what more do you want? You know, it's like if if you're thinking that you needed to go four out of ten or five out of ten in a game to really prove you were having a good night. I mean, that's just not reasonable. That's a stellar night. Like, so are you panicking yeah. about specialty teams? Um, I'm definitely panicking about zone entries on the power play. <laughs> Maybe this especially is a bad last night. Time to ask that question. <laughs> Montreal's penalty kill last night was outstanding. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much of last night's power play problems you might be able. Last night being Saturday, um, I don't know how much you can actually blame that on the Avalanche power play or like even their own entry strategy, just because Montreal were so good. Like this was. This was not a power play specific issue. At five on five, Colorado couldn't puncture the neutral zone, and the only way they could get across the blue line was by dumping it. And you only actually retrieve a puck you dump like half the time at best. So, yeah, Montreal is very good at that. It's something I've seen a lot this year. Is that you know that they, they are, you know that they they prize possession of their own blue line a lot, and they you know they really try to jam up the entry, <clears throat> um, and. You know, that stems from earlier in the year when they had a lot of injuries and on defense. And so, you know, they, they really needed to keep the puck out of their own zone as much as possible. But as it turns out, it's effective not only at 5v5, but they've been able to parlay that into doing it for their penalty kill as well. And it really worked well last night. Um, it was very frustrating because you had three guys at the blue line and then you had one guy covering the back pass to Mac and you know, the, the abs just couldn't solve it. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm a little aggravated with just sort of a, a one dimensional zone entry. Like they either have the back pass or the pass to Landy on the, on the boards at the blue line. You know, sometimes Miko can carry it in. Um, but they're, you know, they, they really don't mix it up a lot. So, and, and I, you know, there's only so many ways to actually get into the zone. So it's, it, it's worrying about something fairly small, but they, you know, they do need to be able to alter that inside of a game such that if they're, keep, if they keep slamming into a wall like that, they have a, an option that's going to work. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you can talk about them having the option to land a Skog, but how often does Tyson Berry actually use it? Right. Like, I mean, even when McKinnon is very obviously covered, he finds a way to, to drop it back to McKinnon. Sometimes that's been JT Comfer falling back to make a second back pass option. Like, yep. Um, the, the we've plan seen that at... is one-dimensional. Maybe one-and-a-half-dimensional. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know... It's again. It's something I think that it's not just the the Canadians, but a lot of teams have figured this out. That you know, if you keep if you keep a team in the neutral zone for a lot of the the penalty kill, there's not much bad that can happen. So, um, you know, it's a good thing to focus on. I mean, even the Avs do that. They've you yeah. know they've had several games on the penalty kill, and they've been very stout at their blue line. So it's you know it's just something you have to deal with. But, um. You know, I just I, I want to see them be able to mix it up a little more and and try to find maybe a little more a creative way to get in the zone. I've seen a lot of guys, a lot of teams are going to sort of an east-west entry, um, where instead of the guy that usually just rushes right in and, and usually turns it over, 
suits um, wide and, right and rings it around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But instead of that guy just diving into the zone, he cuts maybe 10 feet in front, does east to west, and um, that, you know, that saps up your speed. But I think, I don't think that's as much of a problem as it seems like. I, I don't think nah. that you're ever going to be able to use speed on a, on a power play. No. Nah. You know, unless somehow you get a breakaway, which is very rare. So, you know, you want to be able to get that controlled zone entry and set yourself up, and you know, and then you can make good things happen. But it's, you know, if you can't get in the zone, nothing good happens. No, I mean, speed on the speed works by getting in front of your opponent's net before they do, and when you're on the power play, they're sitting there waiting on you. Like that's not speed isn't going to get you anywhere. Right. If you can come in and immediately get the penalty killers moving, then that now you're doing your job, right? Yeah. So, um, but the, the power play continues to be one of the better units in the National Hockey League. Um, it was just very obvious what its main flaw is against Montreal because, like, like I said, they were so good at jamming up their own blue line, and honestly, all night long they were just they swarmed the puck better than any team the Avalanche have seen in quite a while. Yeah, I, th I thought they struggled with that a little bit in the first period, but you know, from then on, they really controlled it because the Avs were having a little bit easier time getting through the neutral zone in, in the first twenty minutes. But after that, it was it was really shut down city, and that's you know that's Claude Julien. I mean, he's he's been doing that for years, and he's very good at coaching it. Yep. So um, that that's a lot about the power play and just kind of one very specific aspect of it. You know, you know, we're panicking about the penalty kill. Um, Although maybe it's been a little bit better since uh, one of its key members got sent back up into the press box. But still one of one of Varley's bad goals in Calgary was a not very good shot on the penalty kill. Your, your goalie has to be your best penalty killer, right? That's what they say? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's definitely a confidence component to why the penalty kill has struggled lately. It's, you know, when, you're, when your goalies aren't really being your best penalty killer... Um, I, I think it makes you play a little bit tighter, um, but there's you know we we still see a lot of the same problems of the the clear but not out problem, um, you know losing puck battles that that you know are pretty much fifty fifty. Um, I I think they have taken steps to sort of widen out the penalty kill a little bit. You know it was very collapsed. Uh, maybe five, ten games ago, and that I, I think they've sort of looked at that and, and said, you know, that that's something we can't do, and we need a, a little bit more pressure higher in the zone, and, and we need to be able to spread out so we can prevent the the seam pass. Um, so hopefully now that they've you know made some changes to the defenders, that that gets the goalies settled down and and um. You know, they can sort of play for each other. Yeah, that would help. The, uh, it, is, it is pretty clear in the last you know week or so that the Avalanche coaching staff kind of got around the table and said, you know, these dudes, Earl and Dario, are right about the Royal Road. Let's try to stop it a little better. Um, yeah. Because they have not quite been, you know, doing the full Tortorello box crease collapse so much lately. Uh, it still happens, especially as, as PK shifts get on, but I think you're going to see that with pretty much any team. You run out of gas, you stop being able to pressure so high, so hard, so it goes. Well, I, you know, I, I think you're, there's, there's, you know, there, there's two things that they're looking at. It's like, 
with that collapsorama, you're sort of anticipating that the seam passes are going to get through at some point, so you may as well have some guy back there defending it. And I think that's a losing proposition unless it's, you know, it's someone that's just not a, a very dangerous shooter. It's prevent defense. Because I, I, right. I, I think if you're preventing the pass, you're going to be more successful than trying to prevent the, the, the shot if the pass gets through and, and allow more passes. So, um, you know, I, I think any time that you're able to limit the side to side movement, you're going to be better off. And it seems like they've, they've kind of figured that out at this point. So hopefully the kill will stop being such a liability and we can stop panicking about it. Yeah. Um, and we're going up against a team that's actually pretty good on the, the power play on Monday night. So yeah, you think? that should be interesting. <laughs> You think all those high-power young forwards are good on the power play? That's a bold statement there, sir. Yeah. Um, so. Speaking of high-powered young scoring forwards, uh, are you panicking about Nathan McKinnon yelling at Jared Bednar? Because everybody um, else is. I, you know, I, I think they handle it really well. I think that, you know, I, I think that Max a very... Uh, emotional and, and passionate fella and that you know it definitely did get the better of him it's bad that it actually happened and i know he knows that but you know it it happens a lot with him and it's just not often at jared bednar on camera <laughs> so um you know i i know they're cool about it but it's you know it's just something with with mac that i i hope that you know a, as he gets older that that maybe you know he he isn't uh, so explosive about things like that, <clears throat> but I think uh, the upside, which really doesn't have a lot to do about it, um, it sort of drew attention to the fact that the Avs are having some problems, and um, and I'm talking drawing attention in in sort of a you know a national and international way. Um, you know, I th I think it was fairly embarrassing for the organization and. You know, I'm just I'm I'm hoping this spurs on a, a little quicker rate of change than maybe they were willing to do before for for basically everything on the team. So when it happened, I didn't care at all. <laughs> I, like McKinnon is absolutely furious at losing a whole bunch of games. Same. Like okay, and he's like you said, he's always been this like emotional passionate competitor and you know as a young dude that often will come out like that um he had he has always had that kind of little history of being the you know the i you know i scored my goal why didn't you do your part kind of attitude every once in a while um but yelling I, at Rene bork on the bench and everything yeah, yeah but, but i'm not like <laughs> i i wasn't that concerned about it at the time and i'm even less concerned about it after mckinnon talked to the media like yeah pr got to him told him what to say to some degree but i've always felt like nathan mckinnon is very much upfront with you when he's talking to the when he's talking to the media like he said some things that he didn't have to say when he was talking about it like his little line about bednar being like the least thin-skinned guy ever like he doesn't have to say that he doesn't have to say he saw the replay when he was in his hotel and was like oh that looks really bad and kind of it was a wake-up call for him like that's not pr that's nathan mckinnon 
Yeah, I, I thought if you haven't seen the interview he did with Christine Simpson from Sportsnet, it's really good. It's it's you know I, he covered a lot of it in the, the the press conference that they they had for him in Montreal. But um, Christine Simpson sat down with him for I think about four minutes, and you know in, in more of a calmer and less confrontational situation, let him talk about it. And you know there, there's really nothing to worry about it. Um. So that's, you know, it, it's nice that, that it happened because I, I do think that I, I think that he has every right to be frustrated with Jared Bednar in some ways. And I know they all love playing for him, but it's just um, I, I see a lot of things um, that I want to blame on the coaching staff and not quite as much on the players. And a lot of this has to do with sort of a slow rate of change and slow reaction to how the team has been playing over the last 20 games or so. And, you know, I, I, I think they were willing to wait a little bit too long before they made changes to try and fix something in, in hopes that, you know, it just correct itself like it had earlier in the year when they had a, a, a six game losing streak. Um, so it's, you know, we, we, we really need to fix this and you know i i don't know how they can because there's a lot you know like andy told you there's a lot of things to fix here if you look at it like well the goalies were a problem this night and shooting was a problem this night and defensive coverage was a problem this night you know it's not one thing you can put your finger on so that that kind of leads me to believe that the players are a little bit confused about what they're supposed to do on the ice. You know, maybe the system's too complex. Maybe it doesn't fit the personnel properly. Um, you know, it, maybe it's just not being taught correctly. I don't know. But, you know, when, when you see a lot of different things going wrong, it's generally because the, the staff is asking players to do things that either they can't or, you know, aren't, aren't really invested in doing. Yeah, it, it's that age-old question when it comes to coaching conversations. Like, is it can't or is it won't? Yeah. And I think both are, you know, it, I, I'm not sure both should be valid, but I think in this day and age, it really is. Just because, you know, you, you really do have to cater to players more than you did 30, 40 years ago. Um, and it just I, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of plays, especially in the defensive zone, where it looks like guys are, are, you know, they thought someone was going to be somewhere else or, you know, they, they did something and it didn't work and they don't understand. And, and it, you know, it's, it's very frustrating for players when they think they're doing the right thing and not getting the right results. So, uh, you know, I think that's when coaching really has to step in and make sure that, you know, what they're doing is, is the right thing for the guys that they have and the situations they have. And not what they want to do, um, and that you know that's tough for a coach to to balance out because they could look at a whole bunch of numbers and see, and be like, you know, look, the, these three guys together are, are what we need to be playing, or in this situation we really need to go with this, you know, this formation and, and cover these opponents. And if if your players. Uh, you know, aren't seeing the results or, or they just flat out can't do that. 
you've really got to be quick to adjust what you're teaching them and, and you're asking them to do if it's not working. It's just been tough out there. And it's, it's that little explosion on the bench just points out that there is definitely, you know, frustration in general. Because no, you're not going to have a shouting match with somebody because you felt like you should have pulled the goaltender a little earlier. Like, right. Like that's, we've, we've all had a really bad day where maybe towards the end of it we said something to somebody that we looked back on ten minutes later and said, oh, that was an asshole thing to say. Because you're having right. a bad day, and it's not what you're mad about, but it's what comes out. And I think that's what exactly. happens there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, hopefully you're right, and this, this spurs some change. But it, the question again becomes, what changes? I, you know, and that, that's a difficult thing to, to, you know, do you really, you know, do you look at making some personnel changes as far as roles in the lineup? Um, the, one of the most frustrating things I'm seeing is, is when the offense isn't producing and, you, you know, they did score a bunch of goals this week. A lot of them were score effect goals and they didn't score any in Montreal. They should have scored enough uh, to win two games. The two games they had no business winning in the first place on paper. Right. Um, but, you know, what What I'm seeing with the forwards is, <clears throat> you know, it, how invested in, in losing are you? Or how willing to <laughs> lose five more games are you just to keep the same 12 guys in the same 12 roles? Um, you know, because... It just seems to me they, they, they don't make any changes there. And, and I know that Wilson came in for O'Connor in this game. And, um, you, know, that, oh, yeah. that, you know, that's a nice step. Obviously, Willie was a little rusty and, and didn't really have, you know, a massive effect. At least, at least not positively. A, yeah, not a good one. I forgot to mention that Colin Wilson <laughs> came back from injury. And they, they did say on the broadcast it was a shoulder, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Thought I heard that. No, they did. Uh, Lauren confirmed that, that that was his shoulder. So I mean, it you know that's pretty amazing recovery when you if you remember how he sort of dove and fell. I sure do. Um, I was there. <laughs> I was kind of like, ooh, <laughs> that ooh, yeah. oh no. I know. And it just you know that that looks like every bike wreck you ever see with someone breaking a collarbone or breaking their wrist or something like that. So, um. You know, it, it's it was good to have him back, but it's just you know when you're getting a guy back after being out of the lineup for a while, you're just you're you're not going to get the same guy as as when he left. Um, but you know that said, it's like you know we have Carl's line, and their production is as far as points is is very inconsistent. You know they'll they'll have a good game and and you know and then they won't for three or four and. You know, I, I just, if you're the, the coaching staff, I don't know how fine you can be with that for a line that you play that much. Um, and, and, and what, what your options are as far as fixing that, um, you know, the, the frat line, you know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Stop it. Are you panicking you know, about Tyson it, Jost? <laughs> I'm not panicking. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation. I, I, I think, the only panic I have is that they thought in the first place that he was going to solve the problem of being the second line scoring center. 
Um, and, and if that was indeed what they were thinking at the beginning of the year, because it sure seemed like that's what they were thinking. And it sure doesn't um, seem like he's that guy. No, it doesn't at all. So, you know, I when I heard in camp that Jared Benar said that he's going to be our 2C until we see otherwise or whatever he said, you know, I was like, oh, man, you know, that's, you know, that's just a lot to put on a guy in his second year, especially when he really didn't show a lot last year. Yes. And he had like one really good month in February and then kind of disappeared after that. So very ambitious. It, it was. And, I, you know, it, I don't want to say it's not fair to Jost, but, you know, they really did ask a lot of him and, and they, they probably asked a lot more than he was able to give. And, you know, it, it, it's put both the team and he in a, in a tough situation because, you know, he's not he's not really able to keep up on that second line. Um, or, you know, if you want to call it the third line, but whatever, it's like he's not able to keep up in that scoring line role right now. And I, I know we all hope he can at some point, and he probably can. He's still very young, and, and I think you know a couple of years down the road, maybe that's a possibility. But you know, right now, it's not working. And so, what are you going to do as far as getting him to that point uh, when you're putting him with you know Sheldon Dries and you know who, whoever else, maybe Sven on on the on the fourth line? I mean. You know, is that helping him? I'm not sure it is. And it, it, I, I think they really can get some more out of him this year. And, and that's something they need to figure out. You know, how do we get Tyson Jost in the next month or two better than he is right now and able to contribute offensively? Um, so, I mean, again, we're, we're, we're circling back to personnel and, and how we're structuring the lineup. Yeah. Um, you know, how are, how are you going to take the nine guys that you have to work with in the in the bottom three lines and, and shuffle that around a little bit and get the most out of all nine rather than say, you know, I just want a, a three veterans on a safe line and, you know, whatever you get out of the rest of them, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, as much as Tyson Jost's presence on the second line isn't helping either Tyson Jost or the second line, um, I I kind of feel like the personnel issue is a little bit deeper than that, um, which is going to yeah. come back to are we panicking about forward depth? Um, which I don't again I don't know if panic is the right word for it because we've been harping on it for like three seasons. But um, when you've, you when when losing Colin Wilson is this devastating to your forward lineup, you got a problem because Ty- Tyson Jost has not proven that he belongs on the second line yet, not on a second scoring line, I should say. And kind of below the radar, neither has JT Comfer. Like, that's a, a really strong energy player who brings a lot to whatever line he's on. But is it scoring? Well, when he's shooting a million percent, it is. But yeah. that doesn't which, last. Which he was early in the year. If you're the staff, you look at the way he was playing and scoring early in the year. You're like, yeah, I want to capitalize on this while we can. Um. But playing JT Com for twenty minutes a night is probably not the way to go. Um, you know, he probably shouldn't be your your number four forward in ice time most of the time. Um, well, some of that's going to be because he plays in all situations, right? Like he's on right. your, he's on your power play in the middle between the three headed monster. He's on your he's he's a, one of your better four checkers on the penalty kill. Like 
he's he's going to get a lot of ice time that way, and that's where his, his even strength has to be kind of under control. And it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I go back to the early part of the year when, before he was injured. Uh, he and Calvert were actually pretty good together on the fourth line, and I, I just I, I think that's something you need to look at as far as a starting point in spreading out the talent and, and trying to get three lines that work out of those, you know, the nine guys you put in the bottom three lines every night. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I think Carl and Nieto have good chemistry together. They seem to work well together. I don't like Calvert on that line. I think his puck skills really hold them back. There's a lot of offensive chances I see that just, he can't do anything with and ends up turning them over. And it, you know, I, I just don't, I, I don't think when you're, when you're really kind of behind the eight ball scoring wise, you, you can't afford to play a guy that much that that's really not helping you um, offensively. Yeah. I mean, Calvert does what he does pretty well, but he also has four feet. So yeah. expecting him to, to contribute to the scoring is not the, uh, not the answer. And right, seems obvious, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. I, I mean, I think when he's doing the puck retrieval role, I think he's you know he does that well. He's a, he's a good forechecker and he retrieves the puck well. But it, you know, a lot of times I'm looking at him in the slot, and you know, instead of even getting a shot off, he's turning it over. Or you know, it, it's 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 really rough because I think with someone that has a little bit more skill there, um on that line. I, I don't think you're really going to lose a lot defensively <clears throat> because I don't think Calvert is all that good defensively anyway. And I, I think you gain being able to get a lot more out of Carl Soderberg and letting Nieto be sort of the, the less skilled guy, even though you know he, he can contribute a little bit more than we give him credit for. Now, yeah. Nieto's got plenty of skill. It's just, he's not very good at putting it to work. Right. You know, um, you know that that's that's why you don't want to play Matt Nieto twenty minutes a night. Um, but you know, I, I just you know, I I think this is, you know, it, it's leading to what what are the Avs going to do as far as you know adding to this roster? I, I mean, I, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion they're going to trade for someone somehow between now and, and February twenty fifth. At the deadline. Hopefully, um, it's not any of those people on LeBron's list because ew. Yep. <laughs> um, you know our forward depth just can't quite contribute enough consistently. Let's bring in somebody who's got fifteen points. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and make them put them on the second line. I have many questions. Uh, <laughs> it's tough, and it you know. I, I see a lot of people saying, oh, let's trade for Stone, and it's just like... Not if you Ottawa ain't signed him gonna... first. Well, it's not, a, it's not just that. It just, you know, it, it, it starts... Any trade with Ottawa is going to start with, you know, how about that first pick back? And that's about the only thing they would ever want to hear from, from Joe Sackick. Yep. I mean, that, that would be the only reason they would pick up the phone. So yep. that's never going to happen. Nope. Um, but... Um, you know, you just sort of wonder what, you know, sort of what are the abs in a management capacity looking at this lineup and thinking, you know, what, what do we need? And, you know, I, I think, you know, when you, you know, you made a, a good point when you're saying if Colin Wilson kind of throws a wrench in everybody's cage, 
um, you know, it's probably... So, fun fact, um, Earl disappears from almost every podcast. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking and talking. <laughs> yeah, that was the... Uh... That, that was the podcast poltergeist saying we really don't need you to repeat the same things on Colin Wilson that have already been said. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, am I, am I scared about the abs depth? A, a little bit. I, I, I really do wish they would sort of rotate some more guys up from the Eagles and, and just take a look at them and, and, you know, really get an idea of what they have before they go ahead and make a trade. And I definitely wish that they would break up the frat line, as we've said, and use the pieces that have exploded out of that to make a new Soderberg line. Like, put Soderberg and Nieto with X member of the frat line. Period. Right. Um, and then you can do what you want with the rest. Um, people continuing to call for maybe now's the time to give nine games to Martin Kaut. He obviously he took a pretty nasty knee on knee collision a few games ago with the with the Eagles, but apparently he's back in action, so no long term harm there. Um, how yeah, do you, he looked fine last night. How do you feel about that idea? Um, I think if you're going to do it, you may as well do it right now. Um, Maybe not right. You now. know he. No, I mean really, right now. I mean, they're, um, they're in Ontario. <laughs> seriously, I mean the Eagles aren't playing until Friday. I mean they got plenty of time. Um, you know, would, wouldn't make it in time for Toronto, obviously, but you know, maybe for Ottawa. Um, but yeah, he he came back from World Juniors. Um, you know, the the he was a a little bit invisible last weekend, but this weekend he scored two goals on Friday night, and you know, aside from getting cruelly need towards the end of the game, um. You know, look fantastic. He looked good last night. The you know the Eagles, as as the Avs did, got shut out. So no glory there. But you know, I, I think he should probably be the you know the next in line because I, I think it's something you want to do. Um, not only is sort of just sort of to to get a gauge on where he is, but to, you know give him a little bit of a reward for hanging in with the system down there, and and you know a reward for making the organization look good for drafting him. And also give him a gauge of where the NHL is at versus where he's at and where he needs to go. Just kind of the standard first call up for your prospects. The kind of thing yeah. that the avalanche have traditionally not had much of a taste for. Um, at least not in a while. So that would well, be I a mean, little I'd... bit of a change. Hopefully they'd figure it out. And I think it's also tough that he's not a center. Um, yep. Of course, neither are anybody I mean, else. But one one of the problems that we're having with all the the you know the depth looking awful is the fact that we haven't had a fourth line center uh, basically since Vlad Kamenev destroyed his shoulder. Um, you know, and I, 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 you know, I'm not saying that the Kamenev was a game changer or anything like that, but it just. You know, when when you're you're forced to look um, at wings at center, like you are with Colin Wilson or Sheldon Dryce, um, you know it does have an effect on how confident the coach is in playing a line like that. And so that line ends up getting 
very sheltered minutes that you can you would maybe want to give to your more scoring minded players and they end up getting less minutes which means you burn out your top line guys it's just got a ton of effects i mean it's not necessarily about the player Vlad Kamenev so much as it is their role, which is something that uh, Evan was saying in the Discord last night. Like, the when when you're done on the fourth line, you can trust it's got all of these kind of domino effects. Um, and it's just kind of the same situation as Colin Wilson. Like, if losing Vlad Kamenev does this to your lineup, like you've got a depth problem. Yeah, and it's weird. I mean, obviously you have a lot of centers, but it's just, you know, first of all, you're using three of them on one line that doesn't even work well, and that's a problem. So, <laughs> don't do that. Nope. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's why I'm saying that, you know, perhaps having Comfort with Calvert is the way to go, because that way you have four centers, you know? Four real centers, because I don't, you know, I'm not real confident about Jost as a center, even on the fourth line. Right. You know, if you can say... McKinnon, Soderberg, Kerfoot, Comfer down the middle. You're like, we can work with that because those are four real centers that actually play center well and can control the play um, and help their teammates out. And I just, you know, I, I like the the pair concept. And if you sort of do a Soderberg, Nieto, Kerfoot, Wilson, Comfer, Calvert. You know, it's like you've got experience, you've got guys in the right positions, and the other three guys that you plug in around them, I don't think they're going to matter a whole lot. You know, I just, I, I think that makes your bottom nine a, a whole lot better because you're able to put any of those lines out in basically any situation. Yeah. Well, this has all been a lot of talk about the forwards. Um, Nikita Zadorov met the team in Toronto, so you got to think he's getting close to being game ready again. And uh, that should mean the return of Ryan Graves to the AHL. So we all have to agree not to panic about that. I, I'm glad we're on the same page here, everyone. Thank you for your for your agreement. With I mean, do you, th- do you really think they are? I mean, they really seem to like him. They seem to like him, but they're not going to carry him. If they're not playing him, they're going to send him down. Like, that's what they do. I'm I'm just not sure they're going to sit him down. <laughs> I'm not sure they want to sit him down. I think they really like playing him. I, I you know I agree that they're not going to sit him. You know, on the Avalanche, if he is sitting, he will go back to the Eagles. Um, but it just you know it really does seem like the the staff like him a lot and they want to keep him in the lineup. So it's going to be interesting when when Zadorov comes back and and sort of see what they do there. You know, it, it helps that the Nemeth is sick right now. Right. So, if you know, I know he's supposed to join the team in Toronto either today or tomorrow. I, I, I don't know if he's going to play or not. But, you know, if Zadorov can play tomorrow and, and, you know, it's like, do they go Zadorov Barbaria or Zadorov Graves? Um, I think that, you know, that that's going to be, you know, if they go Zadorov Graves, that's, you know, that that's really interesting. Yep. That it is. I mean, and Zadorov may not play tomorrow against the Leafs. He may not join the t- join the roster until Wednesday. But the fact that he's with the team and skating and doing his thing in Canada is at least encouraging. Oh, he's on the roster already. He's not on IR. Oh, I, I mean the like the starting roster. Yeah. I don't. I don't mean IR. I mean the lineup. Yeah. That's the word I want. Lineup. Yeah. Lineup. 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 <laughs> um. But it's not like the defense has, you know, 
One thing that we see a lot, especially on the Avs breakout right now, is there's just not support for the puck when the defenders have it. Yeah. They're they're trying and to it, make stretch passes that they aren't good enough to make. Or they just aren't. Yeah, they're there. having a... And Montreal really exposes that, obviously, because of the way they play. But yeah, it's like getting past that first layer of forecheck has been kind of tough lately. This um, is why and... the Avalanche always struggle against teams that forecheck you hard. Um, yeah. Like, for example, the Winnipeg Jets. So let's just kind of shuffle that off behind the door over there. Um, but when, when a team comes at you hard up front, the Avalanche can't deal with it because their forwards are in another time zone looking for the defenders to skate up and find them. And you've got, like, who's, who can carry the buck, puck? You've got Eric Johnson, you've got Tyson Berry, and you've got Sam Gerrard. Yeah. Bar- Barbario and, to some limited degree when he chooses to, but usually he touch passes. And and Z's not terrible at it, but he doesn't do it often. Again, it's when you choose to. Yeah. Um. um and when Zadorov does it, you leaves you going okay. <laughs> he usually takes it coast to coast. So. All right then. <laughs> and honestly, Eric Johnson doesn't carry it up as much as he could, and when he does, it's because he's going hero mode and trying to get that coast to coast shot away. So yeah, <laughs> you'd like him to carry it more, but less so when he does it. But we, you, you need your forwards helping. Yes, this is a team that wants to be fast and beat you up the ice, but. You can't do that without the puck. Yeah, and I know stretch passes are really in vogue right now, um, but that can't be option one, two, three. I mean, one thing that doesn't help, I I don't like the way they always retreat to the back of the net before starting the breakout. It's like, go to the back of the net, take a deep breath, survey the situation. Okay, where is everybody? Oh, gosh, they're all way ahead because I'm not moving. (laughs) <clears throat> and that's because, tough. I mean, it, it's <laughs> because I waited for an hour and a half. They're all covered. Yeah, ex- I guess exactly, I'll stand you know? here for another million years, wait for nothing I mean, to come I, clear, and ice the puck. The Nick Holden's. Well, it's it's if you're you know if you're the defensive coach for an opponent, you're looking at at the Avs. You're like, wow, every single time they break out, <laughs> they do it from behind the net. So it's pretty easy to forecheck. If you put two guys there, oh my god. <laughs> um. So it just, I, I think starting the breakout without retreating and, you know, I, I know it's a, it, it, it forces you into a little bit more of a chip and chase game. Yeah. Um, which is fine with me because I think if you're ready for it, like Montreal plays chip and chase all the time out of the zone and they do it well and it's, it's a fine breakout for them. So you can do that effectively if you want to. Um, what you can't do is sit behind the net and wait for 10 seconds and wonder why all the forwards are at the opposing blue line. Um, at the same so, time, you can't be the forwards going to the opposing blue line. Maybe there should be one, but not three. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. I mean, I, I like a three man breakout and, and sort of a couple layers up front. Um, but it's, it, you, you, you get to the point where, if you're not actually skating hard and you get to the opponent blue line, you may as well curl back any. Yeah. There's no reason to stand there. Absolutely. The, the, the whole reason to stand there at the blue line is to deflect in the dump so that it's not an icing. Like, that's it. That's all you're going to do. Right. So, there, so the support needs to be there, but someone should be out front looking for the cherry pick stretch pass. You know, that, that should be the, the ideal 
It just cannot be the strategy. And that's where the Avalanche seem to get in trouble, because then they say, oh, well, there's actually space to skate out of the defensive zone, so we'll do that. Oh, no, there's nine other skaters in the neutral zone. Where do I go? Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, we saw in the Winnipeg game, like, they use the stretch pass very effectively, and uh, Toronto does, so we'll see that again on Monday night. Um, it's a good strategy. I like it, but it's like it, you have to do it within, you know, two, three seconds max of obtaining the puck. Right. Otherwise, you're just launching it into a crowd. Yeah. Um, but the defenders have struggled to, to stay on the score sheet this season, too, with the exception of Tyson Berry's secondary assists that he seems to always have a million of. Well, I mean, recently they've picked it up a bit. Recently. Um, which is, yeah. Uh, and that's obviously... You know, I, I think that's part of what we've seen as far as shot volume increasing is is they're like, you know, look, you, you guys have to get more involved with the play. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I think the effects are fine. I don't think it's I don't think it's really leading to any more breakaways against than they were giving up anyway. Um, it seems like, you know, since they've given the, the defenseman free reign to, you know, become F one every once in a while that the forwards in general have been okay about covering back for them. So, you know, I, I think that's a decent strategy. And I think they're much better once they cross the red line with the puck than they are getting to the red line. Yeah. As long as they don't dump it from 10 feet behind the red line. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone on this team would do that. Um, and yeah. obviously we're, we've are we got some beef with the goaltending. So are you panicking about goaltending? Yes. <laughs> This has to stop. Apart, like, yeah, we need saves. You, you can't go out and score four goals and get run out of the building. Yeah, I mean, I, I, am not worried about Varley, even with you know his performance against the Flames. I mean, I, you know, I'm not making the excuse that it was his rust game or anything like that. I mean, he has to be better, but, um. You know the 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 pattern I outlined with Grubauer before is every other game, you know, getting yanked or should have been yanked as he should have been in Winnipeg and, and would have if it wasn't a back to back. Is it the curse of um, that chant that grew? Because he has the <laughs> what he's got going on right now is the ultra Dubnik. You know how Devin Dubnik will have one awesome year and then one god awful year. Yeah, Grubauer does that game to game. Yeah, and. I just, you know, I I don't know enough about goalies to say, you know, like, oh, if you just, you know, work on him with this and that, like, it'll get fixed or all he needs is a little confidence and he'll be fine because he's structurally sound. You know, it's like, I can't say things about that, but, you know, you, if <laughs> whatever that is, is, you know, we can't see that anymore. I mean, that's just not NHL goaltend. It's not. I mean, and but the, at least there, wrap, there weren't any more wraparounds that I saw this week, so that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. That's a step in the right direction. Um, but whatever's yeah. going on back there, like, we, this is what we brought in UC Barkula for. Let, let's go. Yeah. Um, I, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully they can just sort of limp into the All-Star break and not and I, I don't think they don't have any more back-to-backs before the All-Star break. I don't think. No, they have a actually apart from tomorrow, apart from Toronto, their schedule before the All-Star break isn't bad at all. Yeah, 
So, you know, hopefully they can limp through that as is and, you know, sort of now that they're going to be at home after Ottawa, um, you know, really get working with Grooby, whatever is ailing him, get that fixed. And, you know, hopefully he, he returns to at least decent NHL backup level after the big break. Yeah, because if he's not, I mean, Pavel Francis appears to possibly be. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I know it's sort of Machiavellian, but I, I would prefer to see Francis the next time they need a, a backup. Um, if they do, you know, if they, if they don't want to use Varley for the rest of the month, then, you know, perhaps bringing Frank up for a game. Cause I think the Eagles will be at home for the next two weeks as well. So he should be around if they need to give him a call. But as we found out in Arizona, that doesn't matter. He can fly from as far as he has to. <laughs> exactly. He can be there. It'd just probably be a little bit better if he has a little bit of time to prepare. Maybe. Um... <laughs> we don't really know that for sure. We kind of thought that about Varley, too, until he stopped facing 45 shots a night. And then we went, oh, maybe he needs to be consistent in the game here. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I, I think you know if it, playing Francis in a game, <clears throat> it, it satisfies several requirements you really want to have on the season. You know, as far as knowing what you have, if you're gonna go, you know, if if the plan is to go with Grubauer and, and Francis, or you know, look elsewhere, you want to know what you have in Francis at the NHL level. So, I mean, I'd say you know, three starts is probably what you want. Um, so. Yeah, work work on getting Frank a couple of starts sometime soon. I mean, yeah. the, the the time to do it would have been the Rangers game. So I don't know what well, the I mean, real plan is. If they keep losing, the time to do it is the next game. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at at any rate, like you know, Simeon Varlamov's contract is about to expire. It's pretty easy to imagine a future where he's not in an Avalanche sweater next season. Um. But it's hard to imagine the Avalanche rolling with Grubauer as their number one, given this hockey season. Yeah. So, the Avalanche have a goaltending problem going into next season. That's something that we'll get into a little bit more on a future episode when there's, you know, fewer games to talk about. But if when it's on the panic list, it's it's definitely on the panic list. I, you know, I think that is a rational thing to panic about. Um, you know, just because obviously they're not winning, you know. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think Varley lost in the game last night. No, I, no, I think even no if means. he, yeah, I, I think even if he comes up with that shorthanded chance, you know, he's just an inch off, but you know, an inch is an inch. It, it went in, <clears throat> um, you know, that that's still, you know, if you don't score, you're not going to win no matter what. No, <laughs> no Var- Varlamov was fine. Like he, he allowed one real bad goal and then the team allowed one real bad goal. But I mean, you can you can give up a goal in the National Hockey League and generally expect to win, or at least go to overtime and lose there. Something. I mean, you should be able to give up two goals and win. Yeah. You know, unless it's like a really special, important game. (laughs) I still don't believe that the second goal happens if the first doesn't happen. So that's why I'm going with one goal. Yeah. Um, but if you can't even score one goal, you're fucked. Um, Yep. So we'll we'll look more into that in the in a future episode very soon. Um, 
do you think we'll be able to agree on any stars this week? I bet we can find some scratches. Um, yeah. What about stars? Um, I, I'm 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 going to go with Mac really because I I think he turned something that could have been very negative and divisive and and you know especially where it happened and where they are now being in the center of the hockey universe this week. Yeah, did it have to happen uh, think, right before you go to Montreal and Toronto? <laughs> exactly, you know. God damn it. Um, but that also allowed him the opportunity to you know to go on Sportsnet with Christine Simpson and. You know, have a have a good interview and, and sort of allay any fears. And you know, the, in the Bob Brofsky issue in, in Columbus, luckily overshadowed some of that. So um, they moved on pretty quickly. Yeah, that's fun. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I, I think they got lucky with some things there, and, and and were able to turn what could have been a pretty big negative into a positive really quickly. And mm-hmm. I also think that you know. Like we were saying, that I, I think it draws attention to the fact that there are some flaws that they really need to address, and you know maybe there'll be a little bit more scrutiny on that, and they'll they'll have to sort of speed up what they're doing. Yeah. Um, the star I'm going to throw out is a star, as in all star, as in we got Gabe in. Gabe Landeskog will be the third member of the three-headed monster line to go to the NHL All Star Game this spring. So that's cool. Good for him. Um, the all-star voting is not at all transparent, and the idea that the, uh, <laughs> the unsung member of the best line in the league, um, got, like, from a small market team like the Avalanche are, got in over, na- over you know, votes for names like Patrick Line is kind of odd to me, but I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, how much did, did Jonathan Taves hate play into that, I wonder? Jonathan Tate's hate. <laughs> Ex- explain. Well, he was there. He was the the Chicago guy, and you would you know you would figure he would probably be the favorite. Um, obviously, you know, not, not on merit. Um, but <clears throat> you know, you'd think that the the fan base for the the Hawks would would have a you know a pretty good chance of getting him in, even though he didn't deserve it. I don't know. I don't. I I don't really know what to make of Hawks fans from one minute to the next. So I'm not even going to try to predict what they might do. (laughs) And also, I'll throw out for Gabe. I I think this got kind of got glossed over, but in the Calgary game, he had 12 shots on goal, setting an Avalanche record. Um. You know, the previous record was 11 shots in one game, and he had 12. So, I mean, that's, you know, I know we, you know, the, the result wasn't what he wanted, but, you know, 12 shots in a game is, is awfully impressive. It's a lot, yeah. Um, I don't watch the post game ever, so I kind of missed any kind of talk about that. I did see it kind of alluded to during the game against Montreal, and I was kind of like, what are they talking about? So... It, it's yeah. unfortunate that it didn't get more fanfare because that this team has a history of some pretty good shooters, dude. Like that's that's a pretty nice record to have. Yeah, you know, it's like I'd, Ray Bork had 19 shots in one game for the Bruins back when in the 80s. You know, it's like he was a very prolific God. shooter. <laughs> 19 shots. Yeah. Um, if you so look it's at just, today's it, game, and you look at 19 Corsi attempts, and you're like, holy crap! Right. Um, 
Yeah, it's it, and the that line had twenty. I want to say it was either twenty three. I think it was twenty three out of thirty five shots that night versus Calgary. I mean, it's you know, it, it, Gabe was obviously a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but all three of those guys were really generating a lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, shout out to Gabe because twelve shots on a goal. I mean, <laughs> that's nice. a heavy lifting. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, I think we can also kind of give an honorary mention star in the direction of Eric Johnson, who's been playing a lot better over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, he really has. He's really been stinking it up out there this season, especially by his standards. But it's been a lot better since, mm, I don't know, I want to say like around Christmas or so. Like, the Avalanche struggles are not necessarily much to do with, with EJ, where maybe they could have been in earlier in December. So. I, I do wish he'd stop running into Varley, but yes, yes he's been better. <laughs> That's your teammate. Um, Please be kind to him. You need him. It, and it and you know it, and that does coincide with when Jared Bednar started talking about trying to activate the D more and get them more involved with the offense. So I, I don't know if it was they were doing something to sort of hamper that before and they sort of let him loose, or you know they they coached something um, different to allow him to get more involved with the offensive play. But I, you know, it, it just seems to reason that's part of it too. Maybe so. Um, so now let's have less fun and let's take goaltending off the table. Cause we've talked about it enough. Who you scratch? Uh, Gruby has to get a scratch. Gruby just, you know, uh, okay, that, that who game. Else? Um, I want to say Ray Bennett just because <laughs> of the, the, the problems that the power plays had all week. I mean, that uh, they let in two shorthanded goals. Um, the problems entering the zone last night. Um, you know, I know it's still a good unit, and and you know, even really good units are going to fail seventy or seventy five percent of the time. <clears throat> um, but it just seems like that's that's one part of the offense that that might be struggling more than it needs to. And I, I think if it wasn't, it would be easier for them to score at five on five. And it, it might be unfair to put place that on Ray Bennett. I'm just using him as a proxy for the, the power play struggles in general. A proxy. Fair enough. And then I'm um, just kind of return to some of our conversation from before. I don't want to put too much expectations on the Eagles guys who have kind of shown they maybe don't belong at this level. So my scratch is going to be aimed at Tyson Jost, who, apart from his two-goal game last week, I think it was, has brought... Very little for a very long time. and Yeah, he was going to be my third scratch, too. Okay. Glad we agree on that. Yeah. And Honorable you know, mention he's in a... is everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of mediocrity this week. That's generous. Coming up this week, the Avalanche finish up this hell trip through Canada, first on Monday in Toronto against a very good Maple Leafs team, 5 o'clock Mountain on Altitude, and ESPN Plus for some reason. Then on Wednesday, they have their second must-win game of the season in Ottawa against the currently 29th overall Senators, who, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you know they're giving away their first-round pick to Mr. Joe Sackick this summer. That game's also at 5 o'clock on Altitude, as my voice just melts for some reason. 
And finally, the Avs return home to finish out January. On Saturday, the Kings come to town for a 1 o'clock matinee for some reason. Three games <laughs> against one good team. How many points? I mean, it's like zero is the logical answer here, but I just, you know, I, I know that they really need to beat the Ottawa, definitely, but I, I really think that was a depressing loss against the Kings um, back right after Christmas. So I, you Yes, know, it I, was. I, I, <laughs> that game was soul-crushing. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I don't have high hopes for Monday night versus Toronto. Um, nah, I don't think you should. But, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> given the paradoxical nature of how they've played lately, you know, I could see them beating the Leafs for some strange reason. Um, but I won't predict it. Um, I, I think they'll finally finally break out against Ottawa and, and the Kings and, and get four points out of that. I agree with you. I th I think they're gonna walk into Toronto and and Babcock is gonna say, "Oh, hey, you know, this is the team that we're trying to beat, and uh, we'll show you how it's done." And <laughs> and then they'll go into Ottawa and just kind of be like, "Look, I'm sick of this shit." <laughs> and the, yeah. the the goals have been coming. Finally, if they can just get the goals and the saves at the same time, the turnaround can come. They're almost there. I think they're really about to to come out of this thing, and it couldn't happen. At a, it can't happen soon enough, but I, I really am looking at the Rangers game as kind of a, hey, look, we can score goals moment, and now we just got to remember we can also make saves. Yeah. Which, which Varley did against Montreal, so now we now it's just, let's do them both. You're almost there. You're almost there. Um, Ottawa are bad and LA are worse, so... That's... Uh... The Kings are actually playing better lately, I mean, and that's, you know, that... I, I think they've kind of tailed off a little bit since... Um... The sort of hot streak they were on uh, before they they played the Avs right after Christmas, but um, you know I I do think that's sort of you know I, it's not a rivalry, but it I think it's the kind of game that you look back and say like you know we should have won this game against these guys and, and they kind of took it to us, so you know we really need to win it. Yeah, the Kings and the Senators have the same number of standings points. They have very similar goal differentials, um, but LA have won five of their last ten, and Ottawa have won two. Yeah, two's a lot. It's, it's more than this team. There's <laughs> <coughs> more how, than how this many? Team. How many games have the Avs won since Christmas, Steph? <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to to get across a middle finger in an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll say they've won fuck off number of games. <laughs> they've won the bird. <laughs> they've well, which I I'm told that's the word. <laughs> yeah. So, whether the struggle bus rolls on or whether the abs finally hop off and and put out the fire in the dumpster to mix every metaphor we can think of, you know you can find out here. Um we will always be on soundcloud.com slash burgundy radio. We will always be in your favorite podcast machine. You can find us at iTunes. You can leave us a rating or a review or whatever. You can follow us on the Twitter. You can follow Burgundy Rainbow and go join the Discord and yell at us about all kinds of things. Um, today it appears to be whether or not the team should give up on everybody. 
The consensus seems to be no, but the conversation of who do we give up on and who do we not is definitely out there. So, good times. Um, you can catch us the same normal time next week, maybe a little bit earlier than usual. I'm not real sure yet. We haven't set a schedule, but then we'll take the All-Star Week off. So, um, next week will be our last show for January. Sound fair? Head up in the dirty areas, and we'll see you next week. On spinorama devant le fele. Did and I heard laughter. What was that? I'm reading a French tweet Uh-oh. about a guy doing a spinorama, and I, I guess spinorama is the same in French as it is in English. Oh, On spinorama devant le filet. <laughs> <laughs>